0: He looks determined without being ruthless. Something heroic in his manner. There's a courage about him. Comes across so calm. Acts like he has a dream. Full of passion. You don't trust me, huh? Well, you know why. I do. We're not supposed to trust anyone in our profession anyway.
1: Peace, peace, peace. This is Atan Thomas, and welcome to The Rematch. I think that everybody has a different definition of what manhood is. Some people think that it's not manly to cry. Then you have other guys who, you know, cry at the drop of a hat, you know, in front of the mics, in front of the cameras every time. I mean, Alan Iverson is probably one of the most emotional cats that I've met. But I think that there is this, this notion in sports in particular that... You have to put up the front of being able to fight through things. So you're thinking that anything that's going on in your life or anything that's happened in your past that could affect you that you should be dealing with, you have to suppress that because you have to be tough. So, you know, you come to like the playoffs and, you know, sometimes people tell their families, listen, not now. You know what I mean? Anything that's going on is not going on right now because the playoffs are going. So this is all that I have to be focused on. You know what I mean? And I would probably say that it always has to be a balance because you can't win championships and then your whole family falls apart. You know what I mean? Or your whole mental state falls apart. So it has to be kind of like a balance. But a lot of guys do use the word suppression. During the 2011 NBA lockout, that's really where I started to develop a friendship with Keon Dooling. We were you know, negotiating with the NBA. I was one of the hardliners saying, wait a minute, that's not fair. Wait a minute, they're just being greedy. He was a little bit more in the middle. You know, well, if we give this, then maybe we can give that. And I remember he used the word suppress a lot. You know, sometimes we have to suppress some of our emotions, not mask what we feel. You know what I mean? But kind of push it to the side a little bit to look at the bigger goal. Then it was interesting, fast forwarding to NBA All-Star Weekend, and we're at Dillard University talking to a room full of College athletes, and he's going over how he used suppression to get him through the NBA. And it's interesting because you don't really know people's story. Like, you don't. You don't know what they had to go through. So he's going over the abuse, the way that he suppressed it, you know, when he had his breakdown, when he snapped, everything like that. And you could hear a pin drop in the room.
0: A rainy day in South Florida, and, um, We were at a friend's house, my older brother's friend's house. He put on porn, and my friend and I was in the room, and that's where the action happened. And I was basically, you know, forced to have oral sex with him at seven years old.
1: It's hard to control your emotions when you hear somebody talking about something as horrific as that. The panel was the first time I've ever heard that story in that much detail. And my eyes are wide open, just like the audience members and the students that are looking at them. And then when I interview him for the rematch— And he's telling it in even more detail. I mean, he went step by step to everything that happened. And so I remember afterwards asking him, how do you pour yourself out like that so much? And he said, honestly, you know, what pushes me along for me to continue doing this is because every time I speak about this, at least a couple of people from the audience come up to me and say, you know, I experienced that, too.
0: See, as hoopers, we're not allowed to process. We have to keep going. So every intersection in life, we almost have to be flawless in order to get through that particular intersection. Um, And so you don't process things.
1: Out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Keon Dooling attended the University of Missouri. He played just two seasons for the Missouri basketball team, but remains one of the most electric Missouri players of his generation. His thunderous, gravity-defying dunk at KU's Allen Fieldhouse is still ingrained in the minds of Tiger fans old enough to remember. Yes, a foul waved off the dunk, but that's one that will be remembered for many decades to come. We were in the same draft class in 2000, and he went on to play 13 years in the NBA. We also served on the Players Association Executive Board for many years, but that's not what makes him special. Keon Dooling has a story to tell, a journey and a mountain he had to climb. He has a passion for telling his story and has the courage to tell it to the world. I can't put into words how admirable that is. In the summer of 2012, right after the NBA lockout had ended, and Billy Hunter and Stern took their pictures and the Christmas sweaters shaking hands, and after signing with the Boston Celtics, Keon checked into a mental institution. Nobody knew what was going on, and of course the rumors started swirling, but now he is telling his story to the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Keon how are you doing
0: son? hey i'm fantastic e um how much do i owe you for that
1: <laughs> no you you're my man <laughs> i have so much respect for you you know you know for, first of all i know i want to ask you about that dunk at missouri and you know if you haven't seen it please go to youtube it's absolutely amazing the kansas player um tried to take the charge and you honestly almost jumped over him like if he wouldn't have bumped you you may have done the vince carter in the olympics jump
0: over the defender dunk yeah no it was um it was a surreal moment, you know. Um, when you're young and you're trying to prove yourself, uh, you're a little bit. Um, you'll ex- you'll try things, you'll explore things on the court. And um, I saw Ashanti Johnson up under the rim. He was about six foot ten, uh-huh. and he wasn't stationary. He was kind of moving, so I kind of, you know, hesitated like I was going like pull up, and right. then I just like took off. And um, I couldn't get all the way to the rim, but I was up so high that I was able to throw it in there. And uh, I still think it was one of the worst calls uh, in, <laughs> in Big 12 history. Um, but it was fun. It's, it's probably my most memorable college um, play. Right. Um, it, probably the most spectacular dunk I think I've ever had in game. You, you know, when
1: I met you at the draft, um, you were so happy and you were smiling and you shook everybody's hand. You know, and you didn't really know me, but you you shook hands. You was over there with all the Clippers guys, and you know, y'all was just laughing and joking. And you know, you came over and you graduated me, and you just had this this warm spirit about you. Did you always have that?
0: Man, you know what? Yeah, I I, I do. I, I think I um I learned how to love at a very early age. Mm. Um, I come from a very loving community, loving mm-hmm. family. Um, God is love, right. you know, and so I always had a unique ability to relate to people from different walks of life, from different um terrains i was always a peacemaker um but also you know i'm saying i always was a stand-up dude i had principles morals values and i think people respect that and so um sometimes that could get you in trouble (laughs) um and especially in our industry you know that could be considered too headstrong or anything like that um but yeah man it, it is who i am and i think i've evolved as a person i think you know um you know, I guess the tipping point is when I had my breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I thought was the most um, embarrassing, uh, detrimental thing to my life has really become the most empowering and it's, it's really given me um, pap- purpose and passion in my post career. Let, let me say that, you know, I can't say enough how much respect I have for you. And, you know, we just sat on a pa-
1: panel discussion at Dillard University. Yes, yes. And you so passionately told your story to all of these college students. And, you know, if, I don't know if you could really see their faces, but they were like hanging onto your every word, like their mouths were open, like they was like locked in. Talk about your passion, your drive, your willingness to be this open book to the world and your entire
0: platform. So initially, you know, when I had my breakdown, I thought I was going to go hide under a rock, never come out. Um, you know, I had I had never embraced the abuse, the sexual abuse in my, my life. So I basically compressed it and pushed it down. Um, but when I got triggered, all those things kind of came out and I couldn't press them down anymore. Um, and so I had to deal with them. And I made a decision at that moment that, um, hey, God, you've moved me in a different place. And so I have to walk in my calling and my purpose. And so I just asked for strength. Um, I got therapy, you know, I had to do my work, I had to heal, I had to learn I had to go through the process so I could be educated enough to be able to articulate it um to a generation who I think is special, who I think is uh crying out uh for emotional healing. Um, but they might not know what it looks like. It's a lot of fatherlessness, a lot of poverty, a lot of anger um around our country. And I try and put a, a regular voice to it. I try and speak directly to a generation um who needs to hear this message, you know. And so I I just, you know, I asked the Lord to give me strength. My wife told me, yeah, hey, you got to do this. You know, she really encouraged me and pushed me and, and supported me through this process. And so, man, I'm just so thankful to be in this place, and I, I'm so thankful um, to have this platform to even talk about it.
1: Um, take us back a little bit um, and explain everything, because there's a lot of young people who are going through um, or have experienced What you went through. Right. Specifically. Right. You know what I mean? Look at statistics. It's almost like one in five young people have experienced some type of sexual abuse. Right. And they keep it suppressed. Right. They don't talk to anybody about it until one time it just explodes. But take us through the whole process of of young Keon and what happened and then the suppression.
0: Okay. So it happened to me at seven years old. Um, It was a a rainy day in South Florida. And um, we were at a friend's house, my older brother's friend's house. He put on porn. And from that moment, you know, at seven years old, my friend and I was in the room and that's where the action happened. And I was basically, you know, forced to have oral sex with him at seven years old. And I remember running out of uh, that house into the rain, um, sprinting home, um, going in the shower and just crying. And at that moment, you know, I I decided that, you know, um, I got to toughen up and I decided to internalize it. I didn't tell my mom, my father, my siblings or anyone. Um, But what I did is I went outside, I threw my bike down on the ground, I took the side piece of the handlebars off, and I started riding with a knife at seven years old. Wow. And I went from being, you know what I mean, this happy-go-lucky dance, hide-and-seek all day, outside playing, um, to more of a chip on my shoulder. I started drinking very early. I started having sex with older girls very early. Um, I started, you know— it, I didn't get picked at the basketball court. I remember one time I write about this in the book. Me and my buddy who got abused together t- got some bottles and bust them on the court while the adults were playing and, and, and took off running. Um, so it shifted me a little bit, man, at, at a very early age. And so I can pause right there just, you know, from right. that basically from that about seven to eight. 11 range it was it was a lot of that but i had sports right. and sports was a great way for it was a great outlet i was able to channel a lot of my negative energy into my sport mm-hmm. um even though i didn't know i was channeling it even though i didn't know where this drive came from um but it also made me creative too you know i because i stayed in my thoughts and so i would always visualize my future i would always um you know, dream and, and and I would be at the park, three, two, one, with no scoreboard, nobody out there, but thinking like I'm, you know, I'm hitting a big game shot. And um, I think I, got, you know, it really helped my creative intelligence in a sense that I was able to kind of disconnect and have a great imagination um, to cope. But 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 all of the the years
1: through high school and through college and then through the NBA, you never told anybody about it. You never talked to anybody about it at all.
0: Never. Never. Um, When the moment when when moments when they would try and come in my memory, Mm -hmm. I would push them back down. Mm -hmm. Um, I would. Yeah, I would never allow myself to 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 embrace that, that that trauma, that experience. It wasn't real to me. And so anytime my anxiety would flare up or I would feel a little hopeless or I would ask myself questions, Mm -hmm. you know, but I could never pinpoint what it was because I didn't embrace that part of me. Wow, so so take me to the the point that that
1: set it off the, the trigger the trigger I like, yeah, right.
0: and i I like to call it a trigger because I want everybody to be able to identify their triggers. We all have triggers, and that's how you can kind of guard your heart, guard your emotions by trying to prevent yourself be, to being in a trigger moment. But my trigger was um I was in uh, Seattle, Washington, we had just did some work we, we fed about uh five hundred families. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Seattle, Washington, myself, Avery Bradley, and the Game Time Foundation, and we're at Metropolis Grill, which I love when I go to uh, Seattle. Mm-hmm. And I ordered the prime rib. Uh, <laughs>
1: Quick shout out. Yep,
0: but I go to the to the restroom, and as I'm urinating, a guy grips my butt. Wow! And so I had the sponsors out there, and I had you know people who were there helping with the event, and so and also I knew the season was you know a month away. Right. And so because you had
1: just signed.
0: I had just signed pretty much, you know, $1.4 million contract going back to the team that I loved. I loved playing for the Celtics. I had a bigger offer, but, you know, decided to go, hey, I wanted to go where it's more quality. Right. Um, and um, I remember, you know, initially I didn't do anything physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember clapping my hands and, and stretching my hands out and saying, hey, man, do you know I can kill you right now with my bare hands? And the conversation went, I said, what is it? That you see in me that you would do that to me. Mm-hmm. Who do you think you are that you would do that to me? Then I clapped and I, clap I said, you know, I can kill you with my bare hands. And I walked out of, the, out of the bathroom. I went back to the table and I told everybody at the table what had just happened to me. And I grew up kind of watching the Incredible Hawk. And I remember when he would be in his human form and he right. would doom doom do Doom doom, right. and he would kind of evolve into Lou Ferrino, and just kind of come out. The Hulk would come out, and I felt that brewing. So I tried to say, "Hey, listen, can I get the creme brulee and a glass of red wine?" I need to calm down. Right, right. But it would this, 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 this doom doom just kept coming, and so I said, "Hey, I gotta dismiss myself from the table. I gotta go take a walk. Um, I gotta get out of here." So I decided to walk out of the restaurant, and as I walk out of the restaurant, I see the guy sitting on the on the curb, and I blacked out. I choked him. And thank God my buddy, he who's here um, all star weekend with me, uh thank God he he he, he followed me out of the restaurant because he was able to pull me off of the guy, and I kind of came back to myself, and I remember walking back to the hotel room crying, you know telling my mom, "Hey, Mom, what just happened to me?" Mm-hmm. Um, called my wife, you know, and told her what happened to me, and we just prayed together, but I couldn't calm down um. Then I got back to the room that night, and then all these memories just started popping back, popping back. And instantly, you know, I started suffering from PTSD. Wow. Because I was still trying to push those visions down, still trying to compress them. And I told nobody. So for about a week and a half period, you know, I was full-blown ptsd didn't even know i was a candidate for it didn't understand it. i couldn't eat i couldn't sleep i was losing weight people were saying oh Keon, are you on drugs what's going on have you lost your mind and i just said i can't play ball anymore i can't play any and it just didn't make sense to everybody because i still hadn't talked about the trauma hadn't embraced the trauma that had happened and so um Yeah, I think that was the start of, you know, um, the breakdown. That was the trigger moment, and that was the Seattle encounter that kind of led me to want to run away from the world. Wow. So then you go from that
1: point, and I remember, you know, the rumors started swirling and people were saying all kinds of different things, and not even just talk, but like in the media. Did you hear all of those rumors at the time, or did you just hear them maybe afterwards?
0: Afterwards, you know, um, I heard a lot of rumors, you know, and it, man, you know, probably one of the most heartbreaking things, you know, because I potty trained a lot of guys. I right. show, you know, over 50 guys how to tie their double Windsors. Right. Um, a lot of guys modeled my behavior because I got good teaching from Eddie Jones and those guys, and I believe each one should teach one. Right. Um, but I felt like, you know, a lot of my brothers left, you know, um, withdrew their emotional sport, withdrew mm-hmm. their friendship from, from me. And, um, yeah, it, it, it hurts. Right. Yeah. It definitely hurts, you know, um, to be stigmatized, you know, and you got some guys who have known me for 20 years, mm-hmm. you know, from the AAU circuit and I've been very consistent, you know, um, and who I am. And so the fact that, um, when I went through something, some people, you know, kind of withdrew. Mm-mm. Their love and support from me was hurtful, but it was good because then I got to see who was really down, who was really true, and who was really who really cared about me as a person. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's life. Right. And that's life. You know, I remember when it
1: happened, and I'm, and I'm listening to it and, and, and hearing the rumors, and I didn't, you know, really know what was going on. I remember I just texted you, you know, I'm keeping you in my prayers. That's really all I could say. I didn't know what was going on, you know, didn't know what the details were. Just said, I'm keeping you in my prayers. And I remember you saying, I appreciate it. And then that's all you said you know but it was it it was a a a way of being able to let you know that i still cared and Absolutely. that i still you know what i mean i'm still your brother i don't know the details everything right. but i'm still your brother
0: and i appreciate that Ian. you know there was a lot of guys who shot their love out i wasn't in the position to be, to be able to respond hmm. um i wasn't in the posi- i wasn't strong enough i was still fragile you know i was still trying to heal i was still you know i had went through um uh, a very traumatic experience and I felt it in, in my body, right. you know what I mean? And so um, I couldn't read as swiftly as I had. I'm a speed reader, you know, and I couldn't read as, I couldn't concentrate, you know, I was very fragile. Um, I was on a different frequency. I could, f- I was very emotional. Right. So I was, you know, exploring these different emotions that I hadn't shut out for all these right. years. And um Dr. Dr. Timothy Benson. Um, I finally made it to Harvard. I went to Ivy League, not for <laughs> school, but uh, for my therapy. Right. And that's really where the healing began for me. It wasn't in the mental institution. Um, I didn't get the proper care that I needed in in the mental institution. Really? No, I didn't get the proper care. Um, but I met I met my, I met how do I, how can I say this? I met God in there. Mm. Um, it was the first time I ever had a physical. Um, experience with my faith and at the bottom floor of the mental institution is where I finally got that grace of the Holy Spirit that I felt it right like, and it was my first physical encounter with my belief system and um if anything out of the mental institution I got that right. where I got my healing was in therapy and in doing my own work and wow. and speaking to the emotions and talking about you know my experience see as Hooper's we're not allowed to process. We have to keep going. Mm-hmm. So every intersection in life, we almost have to be flawless in order to get through that particular intersection. Right. Um, and so you don't process things. And so, I, you know, I, I was able to start processing, learning how to process, you know, my experience, um, some of the gun, gunshot uh, battles that I saw as a child, mm-hmm. um, some of the people who you love and care um you know playing on your emotions you know uh to get money from you um people letting you down and so i had to learn how to process things a little bit better without going to try and mask my pain by either drinking it away or you know uh being promiscuous or you know what i mean trying to disconnect i had to learn how to you know become more emotional uh mature so
1: now after that you've gone and you've you've created a testimony and you're telling your story to the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you you've written the book and I've seen you on, you know, different things speaking to anybody who will listen and talk about how important it is that you do that and the reaction from people.
0: Yeah, so, you know, it's it's a it's mental health, sexual abuse is a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. You know, um people don't really want to tackle it. Um and so I haven't gotten a whole bunch of support, you know what I mean, um With the great network that we have, you know what I mean? I I haven't gotten, you know, the biggest platform to be able to tell that story. But it's changing. I think society is starting to embrace mental health a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the the Players Association is doing a fantastic job of, you know, meeting our players where where they are um, to increase their emotional intelligence and put things in place that help them heal. Um, But it's okay. You know, I said the race isn't given to the swift nor the battle to the strong, but he who endures to the end. I know that this topic, I have enough passion and drive to stay in this race mm-hmm. and to make it mainstream, um, to help save some of our kids, to help heal some of our, our people out there who might be broken, that they see my story and see a piece of healing in it. And in my book, man, I put so many tools in it, you know, because I think that there's a specific uh, – even though this is uh, – this my book is for everyone mm-hmm. – um, there's some specific challenges that we have in the African-American community about mental health, right? right? And head doctor, shrink. Right. I ain't crazy. Right. I ain't this. I ain't that. Right. You know, when we have diabetes, we go get treated. When we have cancer, we go get treated. When we break a, a arm or we tear a ligament, we go get treated. But mm-hmm. we have... Uh, heart, if we have, you know, if our heart is broken or if we have a trauma in our life or, you know, if something isn't going right in our mind, if our anxiety is up, if we're feeling depressed, um, we'll internalize that and we're aware we won't go get the right help. And so I want to destigmatize that, man. I really feel like, you know, uh, it started in my faith with the physical feeling, you know. um, But then uh, the therapy is where I got my true healing. Right. It's where I was able to go and release, talk about my experience, what I went through, and not just the abuse part. There were so many other things that I had never, you know, given myself a chance to process right. that that was life or death situations or that were tr- just as traumatic to me. Um, but I would l- learn how to drop the baggage off and then get the tools to be able to manage it. Mm. And then I had to be consistent and continue to go back. I still do therapy, you know, annually. Still do therapy, you know, um, to this day because you have to continue to heal. You can't just... Um, you can't just say, Okay, I'm fixed right and now let's move on. I I have to do a lot of preventative things, you know, I meditate, I pray, I do yoga, I exercise, I go outside, I have to have balance. You know, I, I talked about being holistic the other day. Right. And so it's spiritual, physical, emotional, you know what I mean, and then the people you surround yourself around. So it's a lot of two, it's a lot of different things that I have to do in order to be at my best self. Wow, wow, and you know I can't say enough how much I respect you for that because our young people need
1: that. You see many so many young people you know self medicating themselves, yes, you know what I mean, um trying to drink their problems away, like you said um d- you know becoming promiscuous and you know trying to do any way to fix the problem, but right. they don't go to therapy. that's just why do you think that's so such a thing that we reject, and particularly the black community, is we reject therapy,
0: yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Well, you know, I think I think we try and pray things away. Okay. You know, I think sometimes you know we'll get super religious, right? And just think that God can just erase it. But right. the Bible says faith without works are dead, right? And so it starts in your faith, and I, you know, it should start there. Whatever your faith may be, it should start with that foundation. But then you got to take it a step further. Right. You got to go and get the the specific, you know, help that you need so that you can move forward. Um, we need healing in our community. We've been through a lot, mm-hmm. you know, generationally, and um, our parents didn't embrace what they went through. They, kept, you know, so a lot of them raised us in PT with PTSD right. because they had to go through, you know, dogs being sick on them and right. segreg, you know, all, all, all these different, you know, things that just can just rupture your emotions. Um, And so, you know, we have to change the stigma. You know, I think it's the gateway for healing for our community. I think it's the uh, pathway to rebuilding our families. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's the best way we give our kids the opportunity to uh, inherit something so they don't have to start from the ground up. Right. Um, I think it's a way to save our marriages. I think it's a way to combat our sexual dysfunction. I think it's a way to deal with the anger issues that we have in the community. I think it's a way to get back to our culture and our music and our dancing and our, can I borrow some sugar from the neighbor next door? I think we got to heal, man. I think we got to heal. And I think therapy is the gateway to it. Well, like I said, so much respect to you, and thank you for
1: sharing your story with the world and having the courage to be able to share the story with the world. Because you said not a lot of people were giving you a lot of support, but you were still able to stand up and, and, and share this story. And if you you know really see, with the statistics being that one in five young people are dealing with this, The chances of, you know, in a big crowd of people who you're speaking to, there's a lot of young people who are there who are dealing with sexual abuse and have nobody to talk to. But they're finding courage in you in you standing up and you giving your testimony. So I really want to say, you know, tip my hat to you and much respect to you. And thank you for coming um, on the show today to be able to give your story to the world. And I always thank the Players Tribune for giving us this platform because, you know, like you said, many people aren't showing this. You know what I mean? And it's so important for everybody to see because so many people are inspired by athletes. That's just, the, that's just the way that it is. And especially young people. So much respect to you. This program was written and produced by Carl Scott and myself with talent production by Lisa Phillips. Production assistance by Sean Cherry and John McDermott. Our engineer was Chris Basel. Our executive producers are Gary Honig jessica robertson kevin johnston ryan duffy chris corcoran and jamie messler follow me on facebook instagram or twitter at a time 36 and don't forget to subscribe on itunes shoot me a message and let me know what you liked what you didn't like who'd you like to see on the show i would love your feedback next on the rematch Shamiqua Holesclaw.
0: But I knew I didn't get help at this time. It was not about anybody else. Like, I was not going to be here on this earth, you know. I know what I live with. A lot of people just don't um, necessarily understand. It's almost like an invisible disease unless you have, like, actions that people can see, you know. The players tribute.com.